Hey everyone, this is Ben with Blue Ribbon Coalition. We're here with our Defend Your Ground podcast. This is episode 37, and this is a special episode. This is going to be another part of a series we've started a while back that is called the Last Known Position series, where we interview search and rescue volunteers within the state of Utah who have been involved in search and rescue missions and as volunteers helping go out and rescue people who have unfortunate things happen to them while they're out having adventures in the backcountry. And so today we have invited Casey Lofthouse, who works with Casey's Off-Road Recovery. He's been a longtime veteran of search and rescue scene down in south, southwest Utah, but because of his skills, he's kind of been called throughout the state, has decades of experience in the, in the search and rescue and off-road recovery scene. And so, Casey, we're glad to have you here. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Casey's off-road recovery, what got you into the search and rescue project and be a volunteer or somebody that became part of this effort to go help people when they get in trouble. All right. Well, thanks for having us on the show today. And we have sure had a lot of fun over the years doing search and rescue um, as well as recovery. We end up in some of the craziest places. Um, I have a business called Casey's Off-Road Recovery where we we basically do just that. We go out and we do off-road recoveries and backcountry rescues. We're probably uh, one of the most versatile recovery companies in the state of Utah where we have snow cats and five-ton military trucks, tracked vehicles, snowmobiles, um, even right down to the old hoofed animals, the mules and horses where we uh, are able to go into the backcountry and really get back in and help people in need, whether it's a private call or a a request and assist from the local sheriff's departments or other counties in the state they they have utilized us in that aspect and so it's just been a lot of fun over the years to uh, get back to the community and help them out with our capabilities uh, whether it's recovering a vehicle individuals or whatever the case is it's uh, it's been a great opportunity to serve uh, the community that in that aspect well, we appreciate having you there and having somebody that's very capable and has that experience. If you're one of these people that end up in the unfortunate situation of needing to be rescued, you definitely have, there's a lot of relief that comes when somebody as experienced as Casey shows up and is able to bring some assistance and help and the, along with the rest of the teams that usually come along with these. Uh, I do want to mention that this podcast is funded in part by a grant from the Utah OHV program. It's, it's an education product where we're trying to teach people how to become more responsible recreation users to be prepared and to know that when you're the things you can do to avoid getting into a situation where you are needing to be searched and rescued recovered out of the backcountry uh we have simone with us as well our policy director she's a um, often co-host with me here on the podcast so simone before i got on you and casey were talking about a pretty crazy mission that happened out near Escalante, which is where you live. Uh, why don't, Casey, Simone, why don't you tell, loop me in. I, I felt like I, mean, I, I, I have some FOMO here. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how crazy it was. Um, Casey was just telling me that he made the trek out here to Escalante the other day. I'll let him tell about it. So we, we uh, of course, we always have to have the next new vehicle. We, we want to have the most capable and so we're always chasing around. Somebody will say, hey, I have an old truck or I have an old wrecker. And so we actually went out to Escalante. And me and Simone could argue on how you actually pronounce Escalante. 
Actually, it is both ways. I mean, the longtime locals, it is Escalante or Escalante, just not Escalante. Yeah, that, anyway. I do say both. Yeah. So we end up out there uh, a week or ten days ago, and we drove a five-ton military truck home. And if you've ever been around them old five-ton trucks, they're not much for the highway. But when you get out in a recovery situation or you need to get into an area, uh, six-wheel drive, low range, those things are just an amazing asset to have available for whatever the needs might arise. You never know what phone call you're going to get next and who it's coming from. And, and so you just, it's, it's nice to have these off the wall vehicles that you put into your fleet and make, make sure they're reliable. And when the call comes, they're ready to go. And, and even if it's just a parade, the kids love those big trucks. You know, everybody, all the young kids are pumping their, pumping their arm and want the air horn and so it, it's worth the trip what's the go. coolest vehicle you, you have what like what's your favorite um so i have an old uh tracked vehicle it's called a nodwell 110 and it's uh, about eleven thousand pounds it's uh it has a track system on it so it has low ground pressure and the tracks are about 17 feet long and about 42 inches wide per side and so if you want to go in a swamp, if you want to go in the sand or the mud, the snow, it that's probably one of my favorite vehicles. We've we've really so, had a lot of fun with it. So I've seen that one in Sand Hollow, I believe. Yeah. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't there been instances where people go drive out into the water of Sand Hollow and get into trouble? Yeah, back to the never know where you're going to end up. I when you show up out there and you see a jeep that's on 42 inch tires and it's buried in the mud clear up to the rocker panels and you try to pull it out backwards and it won't move and you're just scooping the mud and so you try pulling it out forward and a little bit of an angle and you those big tracked vehicles in a situation like that are just indispensable because the cost of a recovery like that normally would just be thousands of dollars but you go out with the right equipment and you can just go out and pull them out no problem and uh, help them get out and the best part about being set up for these recoveries is I'm able to donate a lot of those recoveries and not charge for them and we get involved with all the big events that we have at Sand Hollow um, it just just because of what the events do for our public ground and our public access issues and so it's a lot of fun to just be set up ready to go do the job um, at a moment's notice just hook on and go get it done in short order so what would yeah. cause somebody to be in that situation where they're in the water that you just described like how does that happen um you know sometimes people get in a jeep and it's a it's the old joke if you shut the door and the light goes out <laughs> but, uh, they, they don't always use their best judgment and or they're just out having fun, uh, driving through an area they're not familiar yet with, and they realize, oh, this looks dry, but it's not. It can be very deceiving at Sand Hollow, and in those you know old dry lake beds, you never know how soft they are underneath. And so, uh, a lot of time, it's just people out recreating, having a good time, and then next thing you know, they're, um, you know, they need some help getting their vehicle. Yeah, and I remember seeing out. somebody had parked. So there is this trend where people will park and leave a camper somewhere just to kind of reserve a spot or whatever. Correct. Kind of different rules around whether that's acceptable or not, depending on how long you're doing it for. Um, but we've I've seen videos where people left their camper out on like the beach of I think it was Yuba Lake, mm -hmm. and then the 
runoff started happening, the water level started rising. <laughs> and then it turned out that their motorhome was out sitting in the water. And so there's all kinds of human mistakes that get made as to why you might end up with a vehicle in the water somewhere. And my professional advice is you should try to avoid that. Um, but if you get into trouble, Casey's there for you. So Casey, you've, you talk about these phone calls and you never know what you're going to get. Why don't you tell us about some of the ones that have kind of really stuck with you over the years as I can't believe that happened. Um, so some of the, some of the crazier ones is when you get a phone call and they tell you where they're at, which isn't the problem, but then they tell you that they're driving a Prius and they're literally 25, 30 miles from the closest piece of asphalt that exists out on the Arizona Strip down some two lane dirt road following a four wheeler trail and you have to figure out how to get them out of there without finishing off their car. Um, I've, I've had a couple like that clear out on the Arizona Strip. One of the crazier ones I had is, I'm not, sh ha not sure how many people are familiar with the Rocky Ford Trail that comes off the top of Dutton towards uh, Junction and Circleville area, but I had a full-size Chevy truck attempt to go down the Rocky Ford Trail, which is literally a 50-inch or less four-wheeler trail, and it's on the side of this really steep mountain and it's mm -hmm. a thousand yards to the bottom and he went down that part way was able to find a spot to turn around was attempting to come back up when he called me and so f from hurricane to clear out there is quite the jump so he just had yeah. to hang out in his truck and wait for us to show up but it it's interesting i think a lot of people get in these situations because they trust their GPS instead of trusting their own instincts and not knowing when to turn around putting too much confidence in the ability of their GPS unit to you know tell them this is a, a legitimate route when it's really not yeah no you you weren't the one who did the rescue on the, the there was a couple that went a family with kids they were trying to go to the Grand Canyon and it took them on some mountains up above Mesquite Nevada where there's some backcountry road that does go to an overlook of the Grand Canyon but I, they thought they were going to the main south rim and somehow the, in a two-wheel drive vehicle they were up on the in the mountains above Mesquite which are pretty rugged yeah and, but that wasn't you right I mean I, I'm assuming so um that actually, if that particular circumstance doesn't, but we've been on dozens of recoveries um, where people have called and they said, hey, we're, we're trying to get to Bryce Canyon or we're trying to get to Cedar City from Kolob. And I've gone up there, you know, you never know when you're gonna get these early uh, snowstorms. And so mm -hmm. I get up there and I do the recovery I'm actually going to do and then I think, well, I'm going to drive up around the reservoir. And when I get up there, I find another vehicle. And these people have been sitting in their vehicle for four days. Wow. Um, no, no communication, no anything. And so it's crazy how many times I get out in the middle of nowhere, literally 50, 60 miles from civilization, like you say, out between uh, St. George and Mesquite on the back route up through Black Rock and Elbow Canyon in that area. 
um, and you run across people on a regular basis that are ill-prepared and have no idea where they are they have no supplies they have no spare tires or they've used it and so I, I come across those circumstances on a regular basis when Would I'm you say out that's traveling the majority around. of recoveries is it's recovering people who just have gone on the wrong route they did they were just ill-prepared didn't do their research or something kind of outside of their power happened you, you know I mean is it more just people not being prepared and not doing their research um i think a lot of it is i mean i i deal with a lot of people that are recreating and so some of them are pretty well prepared you know they have their camping equipment and they call and say hey i'm out here towards ely nevada i had a problem with the lower ball joints so which is you know wear and tear on their vehicles that they weren't expecting and so you know there's times where they say hey i drive a 2007 Toyota Tundra I have a broken lower ball joint and I'm like okay send me pictures so they'll send me a picture and I run to the parts store and get a lower ball joint or a tie rod and whatever they need all the tools I figure I'm going to need to change it and then I go out to Ely Nevada to help these folks and come across somebody in a Subaru with three flat tires which they weren't expecting but they don't have a plug kit they don't have an air pump they don't have any camping gear they don't have any extra food and water and so it's not that somebody gets in a situation where they need help it's they're not prepared for an extended t even a 48 hour stay and and so I run across a lot of people that just they're out there just because circumstances happen you, they broke something they got a flat their car broke whatever the case might be they got lost even um, and so I think that the real lesson is to make sure that if you are going to go out and recreate in a rural setting that you have at least 48 hours worth of food and water you have some spare parts for your cars um, if you're handy at all and just just try to make sure that if you do get delayed in your travels that you're at least a little more comfortable than you would be um, otherwise you know food and water is pretty important shelter obviously if you still have your car and so those are a lot of the things that I see it's just circumstances is why they don't want to stay out there for you know they don't want to be miserable and so it it's interesting if you're going to be out and about I think the important thing is to make sure you're prepared yeah that's been a common thread we've I mean in previous episodes we've talked a lot about what you should have uh, to so this grant is funded by the Utah OHB program and so there's a heavy emphasis I mean we've kind of emphasized what I think are some of these cases where it's kind of users and general stock passenger cars. But I imagine you also spend a lot of your time going out and helping those who are the recreating community that are in these very capable off-road vehicles as well that get themselves into trouble of some kind, whether it's a side-by-side -side or a, a four-wheeler or a well-built Jeep or some other full-size vehicle. And those that, that crowd tends to one thing I like about that crowd is they usually a lot of them do get involved in groups and clubs they're out with other people and so if they get into trouble they're, that's one of the ways I say you can really help avoid a major search and rescue catastrophe is go learn how to become a skilled off-road explorer from other people by joining a club or a group or something like that but then those are also the kind of people who think they know everything and that bad things aren't going to happen to them. I've been as guilty as that as anybody. And I 
can't say I've had a, any terrible search and rescue moments yet in my life, but there are times when I am going out alone in a in a side by side into very rugged, deep backcountry areas. And do you have any experiences of people that are fit more of that bill of someone that generally knows the basics of how to do this responsibly and safely, but still found themselves in a situation where they were in trouble? Yeah. So, and that's what I really like about the off-road community as, as a whole, um, the motorized off-road especially is because most most people who are out recreating in rural settings, um, even even just locally here at the Hurricane Sand Dunes, they they are pretty well prepared. They they're able to help themselves and others. They you know they have a knowledge of their machines, the the territory, and and what really gets in people get in trouble is when they're on a four wheeler or side by side and they have forgotten to put a seat belt on or they're not wearing um, protective equipment helmets or whatever they choose to wear for that um, they have an injury and when you when you have a health and safety issue when you're out recreating it's important that you have that communication in order to to dispatch medical help and so I think the the biggest struggle with um, the side-by-sides and the the motorcycles and four-wheelers is when you have a problem with one of those is usually it usually it's a medical issue that you've you've gotten into an accident with another vehicle or you've you know hit a limb and it ripped your handlebars out of your hand and you've done the flip and over your handlebars whatever everybody that's done any type of off-road recreation has has at some point or another been in a situation where themselves or somebody they're riding with has gotten into trouble and had an injury and so I think the important thing is having a communication and a network to where you can call for help and get medical personnel coming and you know if if you happen to be one of the guys that are coming down the trail and you come across a person that's in need of medical care or they've they're having a problem it's always rewarding to have that communication line and know what to do to help them you know get out of their situation and the the top priority obviously is life life and human well-being and so that's where secondary that becomes the recovery stuff and as a recovery guy whether it's recovering vehicles or whether it's recovering um, the people out of the search and rescue aspect of things is you don't want to get in a situation where you're complexing the problem by not being prepared yourself. And so I think a lot of the off-road community says, what can I do to improve my own capabilities um, as well as be an asset to other recreators? Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's a guy on a motorcycle, a pedal bike, a hiker, uh, equine activities, whatever it is, any type of outdoor recreation is make sure that you're prepared enough not only to help yourself but to help those in need because it's inevitable that you're eventually going to come across somebody in the back country that needs help um, whether it's uh, with a vehicle or medically and so just make sure you're prepared for those and what I usually call it in in my situation is I call it my trunk junk go through yeah. your trunk junk and see what's in there um, to be able to help these people and help yeah. yourself. 
And so what are some of the basics for, that you recommend? I mean, we've, I've, here's some I remember from previous shows. You, mean, you mentioned a first aid kit. That's one I always bring. It's tempting to just bring enough water for what you think your ride is going to be. Uh, yeah. Having more than enough, like enough water for if you had to stay the night. And I usually have like a water bottle that has one of those life straw filters in it too. So that if there, and in Utah, you're not always by a water source, which you have to also account for in these deserts. You can be very far from water at any given time, especially I've been in, in moments where I've been out on a machine. I've been 30, 40 miles deep into the back country and you really start to feel it is like, I am mm-hmm. exposed out here. If something goes wrong, do I have everything I need to get through the next 24 hours? And so I've a blanket of some kind, a, a shelter, like a tarp or a shelter, or just a thin, like the Mylar blankets, or whatever that can get you through the night and keep you warm. And uh, have you, how has things changed? I mean, I recently had an iPhone 13 and then once the 14 came out, they have that Iridium satellite SOS call. And I'm like, great, now I don't have to have a yeah. Garmin inReach. My satellite, my phone has that. Have you noticed just in like the last year that there's been an uptick of people using these satellite communication devices to do these SOS calls and get search and rescued? Or was, has, was that already pretty well saturated with the Garmin's? Um, kind of curious what your opinion is on those devices and so communication is always key anytime you're in a situation where you need medical help those those uh, new GPS communicators make it um, it just sorry your your audio is just barely catching up but those start over again then okay you can edit that out. So yeah, I've seen a pretty big uh, change in the way people are able to communicate. The, you know, and I say search and rescue has changed because of it. A lot of times anymore on a search and rescue call is you get a search and rescue call and you know exactly where the person is at, you know exactly how to get there, and it's not a question. It's it just, so the the response time has drastically changed, but it's important to have those communications um, available to you and it's it's definitely made it to where people are I think more willing to take risks because they know they have communication and I guess that's okay but it definitely has made it easier to contact help and I, I get messages quite often from the inReach programs from the spot I have I have people that just have me programmed in their spot and say hey if we get into trouble if we need help uh, anything other than medically we're gonna call you and here's where we're going and so they give me a heads up and so I have a lot of people that uh, utilize me that way just as you know the backup call in case they run into mechanical problems or whatever Um, but yeah there's a lot of lists out there that you can really go through you mentioned a bunch of stuff in the trunk junk but food and water are important communication is really important Um, and I would say your food and water is almost as important as communication so those three all just kind of go together and then a lot of things I come across for people if they would have had a tire kit for 
plugging a tire from a puncture, know how to use it, and and just a even just a cheap air pump, you can get yourself out of quite a few situations. And sometimes your tires ruined, but you have a spare, and then you get another flat, but you can plug that one if you're paying attention and and get back on the road. And so having a basic set of tools. Um, stuff to deal with your tires, jacks, all of those types of things that you would normally have. And I, I would recommend these in just your vehicle you're driving to work. You should have a 48-hour yeah. go bag in your in your truck, in your Jeep, in your whatever you're riding in. Just um, maybe you don't have your GPS, maybe you don't have that uh, communication, but you have your trunk junk that just stays in that vehicle if you ever come even just when their freeways are closed and you've been sitting there for six hours and you're starting to you know wear a hole in your belly button with your backbone and you just need a little snack or a drink of water and um, so that that can be applied just in every vehicle you own just should have a 48 hour go bag yeah so what's been probably the most challenging search and rescue mission you've been on like one where you thought I don't know if I'm gonna get out of here with the vehicle or whatever I mean I, I'm just kind of curious if you if, if if you've encountered people who've maxed out Casey Lofthouse's limits I've had a few calls like that where I've had to just and I've learned over the years is to when you get in a situation where you're starting to get frustrated you're starting to get tired um, to be honest, one of the last ones that I went on on the mules to recover to Buffalo down near the Grand Canyon, I was at my maximum physical exertion level, maximum mental level. I was tired and I was hungry and I was irritated. And so all of those things play into your mindset. And so what I've learned over the years, it's whether it's recovering vehicles, it's search and rescue, what, whatever it is, is when you get to a point to where you feel like that you're saturated and you're going to start making poor decisions, whether that is standing in the wrong area for a winch cable to come whack you, um, whatever the case might be, I always take a step back, take a break, um, find something to eat, find something to drink, just get your mind off the task at hand and I've had a few situations that the one I mentioned on the Rocky Four Trail that was just me and my wife Becky that went on that recovery and the gentleman that owned the vehicle and he was a good asset because he's able to help drive but that was one of those that we drove all the way out there we drove right to the the site we started recovering the vehicle and I had a winch failure and I had a rope failure and I was sliding off the mountain myself and so you start feeling like you're oh man we got to get this done before dark we're gonna get a situation where we're we're gonna you know so you just figure out how to make it work and it's always served me well to just take a step back and take a deep breath and reset for just a minute and I am but, curious how you got that full-size truck off that track. um one tree at a time <laughs> so we we had to use two different winches on the Cherokee and we had to do a redirect and we had to run it through a snatch block and back to ourselves and we had to have a lot of pulling power to do it so we basically just one foot at a time 
let the win winches cool down and we just move him forward just a few feet at a time until we were able to get him up to a spot he could stay on the trail so how and long then did I had take? to it was like seven hours and that's just the time on scene not to mention drive time both driving. directions yeah. and yeah, it's far um, so you'll see sometimes I'll have a bedroll in my Jeep in the back seat and a pillow and my go bag and everything so if I get out there on a, on a scene I can just say I'm done we're gonna spend the night throw your bedroll out start a campfire have some dinner and there's been times where I've had to do that many times so Utah I mean it's definitely got a pretty wide variety of terrain talk to me about so there's an account I follow that's called stick to the pavement yep. and they have a lot of a lot of folks around the Kanab area that get themselves into trouble. And I've been in that area. I've like done some off-roading out there. And it's deceiving. The accessibility of that area is deceiving because it's so sandy. And so you think, oh, this is a pretty smooth trail and it doesn't look too bad. I don't have like the big rock climbing obstacles that you might get somewhere in Moab or in other places. What are some of the terrain areas in utah where you're where you would probably just give some people advice and say hey if you're going there uh <laughs> here's some things you should know or where do you get like more calls from i mean obviously you probably get a lot of calls out of sand hollow just because you're close and it is it gets so much use but what are some other areas where you're kind of like i wish people going into this area knew dot 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 um, so yeah, I, I follow the guys from Stick to the Pavement. They they, it's basically a mirror image of my day to day. Um, we see all the same type of recoveries and all the same situations, mud and sand, and I think that we are in similar climates and similar terrain. And so that's basically the mirror image of my life, but. The ones that worry me the most, as you say, the, the, the places that make me really wonder are the Arizona Strip, Mount Trumbull, the Grand Canyon area uh, uh -huh. on the north side of the Grand Canyon between the Grand Canyon and Hurricane Kanab. All those areas are so inaccessible and so rural. Those are the places that people need to really be prepared even if it's just communication. If you don't want to change a flat tire, I've driven all the way to the north rim of the Grand Canyon to change a tire on a Toyota, no lie. And so, at least when you're in the rural areas, have communication so that you can call and say, we're gonna sit here in the shade of this big old Ponderosa and have a picnic while we wait for you. But if you will at least have communication when you're anywhere rural, anywhere off the beaten path, there's so many areas where you can get 60 miles from pavement just right here that it's 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 crazy to think it doesn't seem like that far and then all of a sudden you realize you don't have communication and then you sit for four hours waiting for help and so any any of these backcountry doesn't matter if it's Idaho southern Utah anywhere that you get out a long ways from pavement just at least have communication because it's a long ways out there to the Grand Canyon on 60 miles of dirt road. Yeah, and the 
roads there, I mean, they can probably be a little deceiving where when you leave St. George, they are probably pretty well graded and maintained. Then the further out you get, my understanding is I've been out there in some of it, but not, I haven't deeply explored that area yet. My understanding is it gets pretty rugged pretty fast on some of those roads. It does, and it can change by the snap of a finger. It, what would be a dry, a dry road that's been recently bladed can all of a sudden turn into two feet of mud in a matter of an hour. It's just crazy how the weather can change. It can rain and just be a muddy mess, and three hours later it's dry and there's dust kicking up. It's just... Yeah. It, it can change really fast with the weather. So talk to me about this couple, I think you mentioned up near Kolob or somewhere up in that area, that they had been there for four days with needing help. Yeah. What, and What went wrong there? I mean, obviously they didn't have communication, but they were really just waiting for somebody to come find them for four days? or what? Tell us a little bit more about that. So they had gone up there... Um, on an afternoon, they drove up to Kolob Reservoir, and they had dr driven in quite a ways, and they slid off the side of the road and got stuck in the bur the burrow ditch, just in the, one of the drainage ditches there. And then a big winter storm moved in, and it snowed like two feet that night. And okay. thankfully for them, they had supplies in their vehicle. They had stuff to keep warm with. They was able to start the car. They had plenty of fuel. And so, as is always the case, you you were told from the day you're an infant to stay with the vehicle. Stay with the vehicle. They, they just tell you that. Every guy will tell you it's a heck of a lot easier to spot a vehicle than it is to spot a person. So these people made the right choice by staying with the vehicle regardless. Um, and it was the morning of the fourth day they were there and I had gone up to do a recovery on the Lava Point, which is about three miles or four miles down the canyon from where these folks were at. But after I got done doing the recovery at Lava Point, I said to myself, you know, we've had storms and it's always, you know, follow your intuition. So I said to the guys, let's run up to Kolob Reservoir. We'll drive around the reservoir and just check to see if anybody's running any problems. And we come around the corner and we see no vehicle in the ditch just completely covered with snow. Oh, so you just happened upon them. Uh-huh. We just happened upon them. And so I went up there and knocked on the window and, man, they were glad to see us. Sure. They... <laughs> and of all the people to find them, I mean, they're yeah, very lucky so... that it was you. So what was their plan, though, if, they, if you didn't come? Were they really just going to wait there for days and weeks? or? Well, they had told us that they probably had two or three days left of food and supplies and then they were gonna and if the weather had cleared they said they were gonna walk you know walk down the canyon but they weren't willing to do it um with the inclement weather it's just not a good idea to leave your vehicle and and to the opposite side of things um in my search and rescue experience i have recovered vehicles or excuse me i've recovered people who left their vehicles um, and have frozen to death because they decided wow. to leave the vehicle. That's good feedback and advice and uh, the kind of feedback that could potentially save someone life, someone's life. And I don't, I know that, do you know uh, Chris Reed? 
who uh-huh. does search and rescue up in Utah County, and he's had somewhere. That was also a situation where up there in northern Utah, you definitely have a lot more of the winter rescues yeah. that are perilous, where down here in southern Utah, we still have them, but St. George and Hurricane, it can be pretty nice in the winter. Oh, for sure. That's the time you want to get lost out in the desert. Uh, so you've been involved with a lot of search and rescue institutions, or at least, I mean, you said Washington County, but you've worked throughout the state. You have your own business. How how did you get into this? Did you go to search and rescue school and then you prepared for the career and came into it and decided to do it and made a whole lifetime career out of it? Or I mean, I, I mean, it's a leading question because we know that almost all search and rescue professionals are volunteers. So what what motivated you to get into this? Well, initially it was kind of being in the right place at the right time. Um, my dad was always an advocate for being prepared. Um, his communication when I was a young kid was ham radio. And so from ham radio it went into the CERT commu- communication, uh, commun- community emergency response team, um, being around other basically ham radio guys which would have been Dean Cox and some of the people here locally that were huge advocates for emergency preparedness and emergency communications. And so I started working with them early on in the communication aspect of things and doing repeater maintenance and different things along those lines. But I was always an outdoor recreationist, so I had the Jeeps and the 4x4s and everybody would say, oh, you ran into a problem, just call Casey, he'll be out there. And so it just kind of evolved into that and then I was asked by the sheriff's department to help with their radio communications and during the transition of all the search and rescue teams under the sheriff's department um, I had the opportunity to jump in there as a team member to help with those transitions and we we set the state standards for uh, statewide search and rescue training um, the national NASAR trainings that uh, every search and rescue member takes and so I had a lot of great opportunities in my search and rescue years to help develop some of those trainings and get a statewide standard and it was a lot of fun to you know have those trainings and expertise and just the life experience to be able to offer a service to uh, the so it, it, it basically just evolved for me just my my association of friends and colleagues that just put me in the situations where they utilize my abilities and and it was uh, is a good opportunity to be able to uh, do all that and then like as it is now evolved into a business and a and a lifestyle and a basically the way I make my living so it's been a lot of fun yeah and I mean motorized recreation users often make good search and rescue volunteers because they get out and explore a lot they have a lot of familiarity with local landscapes they usually have capable vehicles that can get them places so we always encourage our listeners that if you haven't looked into becoming a search and rescue volunteer you should you should consider it Um, it is going to be it's one of those things that once you sign up for it it can be a consuming thing i mean the other volunteers i've talked to is you're going to get called and there will be times that you get called and it's not a convenient time for you to go but you know that what you're being called to do is and a lot of times you're saving a life, you're doing something really important. So even though it's very demanding, it's also very rewarding. And local search and rescue departments in Utah 
KC, how how do they tend to fare as far as do they have a lot of support? Do they have a lot of funding? Do they have everything they need? And the volunteer thing is just kind of because people want to help or I mean what's your experience working with the local search and rescue programs and how important it is to have these volunteers? So in my opinion search and rescue volunteers as well as volunteer firefighters volunteers in public safety um, that is one of the last remaining opportunities for an individual to volunteer to a civic responsibility that is very important like it's one of the most important aspects um, because in order to have an entirely paid search and rescue team it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of manpower and equipment to do that and so a lot of our search and rescue in Utah now is very well funded because a portion of your registration for your boat your RV I believe um, side-by-sides all that stuff a portion of that goes towards a search and rescue advisory fund that funds search and rescue throughout the state of Utah and so it's a really neat program uh, Utah State Search and Rescue Advisory Committee reimburse the county for their expenses they incur during a search and rescue operation but imagine the costs if we didn't have hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours a year um, and I can I can tell you right now you will never get the commitment out of a paid search and rescue member as you do out of a as a volunteer search and rescue member I've watched it in real times as the commander in Washington County for years you'll never get the commitment or the enthusiasm on from a guy that's getting paid is from a guy that's volunteering because they have a huge passion they're there because they uh, want to be not because yep. it's just a paycheck yep exactly yeah and I was and part of the question I was asking is in Utah we also have this situation where because there's so much federal land ownership county budgets are usually pretty strapped and so I mean kudos to Utah for coming up with a statewide program to tap into the resource dollars of the community that is out there enjoying this the recreation experiences to have a additional funding source there to make the counties have the funding requirements they need but a lot of search and rescue volunteering happens there's a lot of fundraising um, if we were to tell our listeners to support a specific search and rescue related nonprofit or entity or program, where would you direct them to go? I mean, where do you think needs the most resources and could use the help of folks that are uh, wanting to be help make sure that these resources are available? So I would say that, in my opinion, that a individual wanted to donate to a local search and rescue in the state of Utah legislatively the county sheriff is in charge of search and rescue operations in their prospective counties now the state has that fund set up in order to reimburse the counties for their costs incurred but if you were to donate time material or equipment I mean we've had people donate four-wheelers and whatever the case might be if you're wanting to donate to that you can donate to your local county sheriff sheriff's office or the local county um, and they're they're obviously that's a tax-deductible donation so you can donate to any of your um, search and rescue throughout the state but I would recommend just donating to your local search and rescue team and 
make sure that they have the equipment and supplies, the materials and food and everything they need when they're on a search. The last thing they need want to worry about is, you know, whether they have the right equipment. And so if, you, if you're in a position where you can donate to your search and rescue, go find the county sheriff and say, man, have I got a deal for you. I want to donate money to your team and um, I want to raise money for your team, whatever the case might be. Um, right now in, in Utah, search and rescue is very well funded. Um, yeah, but they could good. always use more capabilities, more uh, cutting-edge equipment, and so I like. And I would say that's something that's just changed in the last five years. Yeah, it's it's really come a long ways. With the the advisory board really helped with uh, getting search and rescue funded fairly throughout the state because you have a county like Grand County that's one of the busiest search and rescue teams in the state, uh-huh. and they were always ill-funded. And so this this kind of leveled the playing field between a county like Utah County, who's got seems like they have an unlimited limited budget, and then you have a county like Grand County or Sevier County that always struggle with trying to have, you know, comparable equipment. And may they not be as busy, but when they have a search, they still need to execute it uh, diligently. And and so it it's really helped that search and rescue advisory has really helped. Uh, level the playing field and and they do a, a training at Fish Lake every year and so the search and rescue teams throughout the state are able to build that camaraderie and have those point of contacts to where when they get in a situation where they're over their head it's not as big of a deal to call the adjoining county to say hey bring some guys if they're available and can you help us out so it's it's a great thing that search and rescue has really evolved in the state good and I'm glad I mean I've been I've been at Fish Lake during that training. My yeah. wife's family has a cabin up there, and I've seen all the guys up there, and they've got the helicopters and just doing all kinds of things. So I've just it always makes me grateful that there's people like you that are willing to go through that training and volunteer to be part of it. Uh, we do need to wrap this up, I and mean, you've given us a lot of good insight and made a great addition to this series. Uh, what are kind of the last words you'd have is if you could give any advice to somebody before they're going to go out on the trail so that they don't have to call you, um, what would be your closing parting nuggets of wisdom? <laughs> well, um, I could say the biggest thing is you can, you can go back to Boy Scouts if you, uh, if you want to utilize that terminology as be prepared. You can get yourself and others out of some crazy situations if you're just prepared. Um, keep a good, cool head and don't don't let it ruin your trip. When you get stranded, when you get broke down, when you get stuck, what's the big deal? It's all part of the adventure. It's you know, ch- chalk it up for not ruin your vacation or not ruin your trip. Just chalk it up for a man will never forget that trip down the hole in the rock or. Or whatever, wherever the case is, whatever you're going, um, get out and enjoy the outdoors. Um, get out and then, I mean, the public lands in Utah are just such an asset to the citizens and the visitors alike. And get out there, enjoy them, be prepared, uh, know who to call when you get into trouble, and just just go enjoy it and and have fun. So, where can people find you if they want to put you on their call list. Uh, Is there a website or somewhere where if they want to be in contact with Casey's Off-Road Recovery, they can know where to go? All right. Well, 
Casey's off-road recovery is pretty easy to find. We're uh, kind of the staple in the off-road community. We've been around a long time, and you can look us up at Casey's off-road recovery, obviously. Google search us. We have a direct dispatch line, as well as we run a little YouTube channel where we share some of our crazy wild stories with others. And so we're, we're pretty easy to find. We uh, serve pretty well southern, central Utah. We've, we've been all over northern Nevada, northern Arizona. And so track down Casey's Off-Road Recovery, or if you're in Hurricane, you can always stop by and say hi. And we get a lot of visitors that come and ask for advice, just like I was just giving you to uh, make sure they have an enjoyable trip while they're visiting. Well, good. Well, Casey, thanks for being a guest and being part of this and sharing your experience and wisdom. And uh, we'll have this out online for people to share. If you want, we could give you the video file and you could put it up on your YouTube channel if you want to. Yeah, we'll that'd be fun. With you. Uh, but we just appreciate you being willing to do this and help us fulfill this grant so we can give this education content to the off-road recreation community. And that wraps up episode 37. We'll catch you all in the next episode. All right. Well, thanks you guys for everything you do for the off-road and public access. I think it's great. Yeah. No, thanks. We got a lot of work to do with, yeah, we, we want, we want people to have trails they can go get recovered and rescued from. And yeah, we're that's for hard sure. on that. Uh, I, and there's been, there's kind of like a double meaning there where we recover people out on the trails, but we need to recover some of our trails. Yeah. There's a lot of trails out there that we've lost and I want, I'd love for the recovery community to put together using you, you guys have great platforms your audiences love you we need to educate people on the work we've got to do to recover those actual trails now that are getting closed for yeah that's for sure really dumb reasons and so if you, ever, if you ever want to be part of that effort we would love all the help we can get so all right well thanks everyone for listening